0: Let's get it going on a Wednesday. Welcome to the program. It is Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you. Coming at you live from the Doug Lacy's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, crack foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Three outstanding producers helping us keep the ship on uh, track today. I like was going say afloat, but that's not how ships work.
2: Is that a Titanic pun? Uh,
0: it wasn't meant to be. It is now. It is now. Cam, Shan, and Taylor all along with us. Good afternoon, Mr. Vickers. How are you, sir?
2: I am chilled, as you can tell by I my near-horizontal seating position. I'm ripped. I'm ready to go. I can't wait.
0: Uh, it is a tremendous day. Thank you for joining us. The text line is open to you at nine six zero nine six zero. 960 The news of the day here in the city of Calgary. Mike Vernon is inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The Calgary Alberta native Stanley Cup champion will officially join the likes of Flames Legends. Lanny McDonald. Jerome McGinley with numbers up in the Saddle Dome and a plaque in Toronto. We've got the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame class to react to. We also have Flames News, courtesy of our pal Elliot Friedman, on the latest edition of the 32 Thoughts podcast. So we will dive into all of that. And please make sure you join us at 5.30 this afternoon as Mike Vernon will join myself and Aaron Vickers live here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. To give us some immediate reaction uh, from his day and what a day it, it's been, Aaron. Uh, what was your initial reaction today uh, to hearing the Hall of Fame class? And I guess starting with with Mike Vernon's name being on that list.
2: I mean, the first reaction is you're excited for Mike, and you you run through his resume, and you mentioned two-time Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe Trophy winner, has a Jennings under his belt. With all, I guess I should preface this because I was going to say with all due respect to Mika Kiprasov. Depends on what generation of Flames fan you are. But when you think goaltender for the Calgary Flames, it's certainly those two. And if if you're of a certain vintage, it's Mike Vernon. I think if you're of another vintage, it's Mika Kiprasov. But to me, when I see those red jerseys, they're not throwbacks anymore. They're not retros anymore. They brought them back. But when I think of the red and gold, I think of Mike Vernon. And for him to go into the Hall of Fame class 2023 alongside a couple other goaltenders and Tom Parasso and Henrik Lundqvist, it's hard not to get excited as a person who lives in Calgary. If you're a Calgary Flames fan, whatever, one of your own, literally one of your own citizens is going to be enshrined with hockey's highest honor. So I don't know how you're anything but excited for Mike Vernon right now.
0: And you mentioned it there. This will, the 2023 class will no doubt uh, probably be looked at as the goaltender class. You mentioned Tom Parasso. Henrik Lundqvist was a first-time eligible Hall of Famer and a shoo-in for this award, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Uh, we have some other great names on this list as well. Carolyn Willett, uh, on the uh, female hockey side of things, is one who's one of only three female players who's won at least four Olympic gold medalists. Like
2: that, and let's let's just stop there real quick. Four Olympic gold medalists, unbelievable,
0: unbelievable. Joins Haley Wickenheiser, Jaina Hefford. Uh, in the Hockey Hall of Fame, so congratulations to Carolyn Ouellette. How about uh, Ken Hitchcock joining the Hockey Hall of Fame as well today in the
2: Builders category? In the Builders yeah.
0: category, yes. Uh, and we also should talk about Quebec native Pierre Turgeon, starting with the Granby Bisons before being selected first overall by the Buffalo Sabers in 1987. He also joins the class. And, uh, look, Pierre Lacroix coming in the builder side of things as well. Uh, he passed away at the age of 72 back on December 13th of 2020. Uh, overall, I think a pretty strong class here. Anybody missing from that list in your mind, Aaron, that, uh, we were getting ready for this. There always that conversation of, of snubs or guys that shouldn't be or should be on that list.
2: How do we feel about uh, Alex McGillney not being there? Is he the first one that pops to mind to you? Do you have somebody different? He's I just—he's
0: kind of been the popular guy lately, right? That's been talked about as should he be in the in the Hockey Hall of Fame list.
2: I mean, over a thousand points in the NHL, 990 games, so just ten shy of that golden stick, and and just the the history surrounding him defecting joining the NHL, leaving Russia. Like there's stories among stories among stories relating to Alexander McGillney with his time with the Buffalo Sabres. He's a former member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, New Jersey Devils, of course, out West, be recognized as a former member of the Vancouver Canucks. He got 107 points when you're at 127 points with the Buffalo Sabres, 76 goals in 92-93. And it's not always going to be just about statistics. But when you wrap his package in to how productive an NHL career he had, the circumstances in which he joined the Buffalo Sabres, I think there's a a curious case for him there.
0: Yeah, is always an interesting one because he has those two massive seasons, one with Buffalo that you mentioned, one with Vancouver in 95-96 where he hits that 107-point plateau. And then he has years mixed in there where it was 45 you know, some injury risk came down, but he still easily got, you know, over a thousand points, like you mentioned, just shy of a thousand games in the NHL. Four hundred
2: and seventy three goals. That's a lot. That's, that's that's
0: a lot. More than I've scored. Yes.
2: I don't know if you knew that. I think it's me.
0: more than both of us combined. Maybe everyone in this room, I think.
2: I mean barely.
0: Not yeah. It's, it's close. Just by just
2: by four hundred and seventy three. <laughs> it's close. Just by all of them.
0: It's close. But yeah. Um yeah, you look, I think Alexander Mogilney could be a Hall of Famer easily. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been Upset, but at the same accord, I look at like a guy like Pierre Turgeon, who gets in today, and I'm like, yeah, probably could have, could have had him in the hall a little bit sooner too. At, at 1,327 points yeah. of his own in over 1,200 games, was
2: he the highest scoring player not in the hall? I feel like if not, he was right there.
0: You gotta be close to. It. I can't yeah. imagine there's many 1,300 point plus guys that are sitting outside the hall today. Yeah, so. Uh, Congratulations to everybody uh, on this list. Very excited to chat with Mike later today. Uh, If you can't listen live, make sure to check it out on the podcast. That's coming up just after 5.30. We will have Flames legend and now Hockey Hall of Famer Mike Vernon with us uh, to chat about his induction into the Hall of Fame today. Uh, Keeping with the Calgary theme, uh, Mr. Vickers, uh, Elliot Friedman dropping a new edition of 32 Thoughts Podcast with our pal Jeff Merrick. Uh, on sportsland.ca and across your favorite podcast forums. Uh, of course, uh, Jeff and, and Elliot keeping things rolling in the rumor mill. Uh, so spent a couple minutes talking about the Calgary Flames this morning and uh, wanted to bring that conversation to you, and we'll react on the other side with some very interesting news about the Flames, where they are heading into the draft next week, and a couple of those players we're keeping an eye on when it comes to the pending UFAs for the team. Here's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast this Wednesday with the latest on the Calgary Flames.
1: In Calgary, we already know about Hannafin. He's in a situation where uh, at some point in time they're probably going to move him. But I think the rest of their decisions surround Lindholm. Now, I think Lindholm and the Flames are talking. I believe that the Flames know that if... They want to keep Lindholm. It's going to be Horvat money in that area. Mm -hmm. Eight times 8.5. Both Lindholm and Horvat are are Newport guys. And I think the Flames understand that that's where this is going to come in. I think there have been conversations not only about uh, the contract, but the direction of the team. Which way are the Flames going? I think Lindholm has indicated that if he commits, he wants to know that the team is still going to try to compete. it won't be a rebuild. Like, I think they know they've got to plug in some younger players, and I think he's okay with that. He just doesn't want it to be a full rebuild. But I think the Flames are waiting for Lindholm's decision before they start to decide on some of their other contracts, like the the Toffoleys, the Zadorovs, the Tanevs, other players like that. Because, look, if Lindholm and Hannifin are out, Calgary could have some very different decisions they might need to make. They might have to sit back and say, all right, without these two players, where are we going here? Mm. But if Lindholm stays, I think they're going to try to stay in the race, you know, quite a bit. Lindholm, I don't think is staying unless that happens. So Lindholm's decision, I think is the big linchpin to all of this. And I'm told that the flames are not pressuring him to make a decision by the draft. Like, if Lindholm waits a little bit longer, if, I don't think they're worried about that. So I'm not sure, aside from Hannafin, who's made his decision, that he would like to see what else is out there, I think Calgary's prepared to wait a bit for Lindholm and then kind of go from there. By the way, the other thing I heard, Mm -hmm. don't expect Markstrom to be moved. I think there were some rumblings. Would Markstrom agree to go anywhere I've heard he wants to come back. So that's kind of where it stands on him.
2: So then we wonder about Dan Fladar because I would imagine that, that Dustin Wolf's coming in next year. Like he's gotta be.
1: Yes. So, I mean, and the goalie market's going to be very, very volatile. So all these teams that have goalies to move, like there's a lot of pieces around goaltenders out there. And I think that's not only a challenge for Craig Conroy, I think that's a challenge for a lot of other GMs, which is to play this game of musical chairs and see which goalies end up where.
2: Okay, let me let me circle back to Lindholm there and, and maybe try to crystallize what you're saying here. Is it too simplistic to say the decision rather to go for it again or take a step back rests solely on Lindholm's decision. If he's in, then they're going for it. If not, it's time to maybe take a step back here and see what value we can get for other players.
3: Is that too simplistic?
1: I don't know if it's too simplistic, but at, le- at the very least, if Lindholm and Hannafin are moving, I think the Flames are going to have to really think about Like, that's a top-pair defenseman and a first-line center, right? Yep. I don't necessarily think it means they rebuild completely, but I think they have to sit back and decide what this means. If Lindholm stays, they have a number-one center and also a commitment to him that they're going to continue trying to contend. I think if they don't have either, Mm -hmm. then Calgary and and their brain trust, Conroy along with Maloney and Nonis, they – they have to kind of sit down and say, okay, what does this all mean?
0: So that is Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast that dropped earlier this Wednesday. There's a lot there. It mostly revolves around Alliance Lindholm, but other nuggets in there, Aaron. Jacob Markstrom doesn't appear to be going anywhere. Those were some rumblings that yeah. Elliot had yeah. heard. Noah Hannafin has made his decision. I think we've been on that. For a little while now and Flames aren't pressuring Lindholm into a decision by the draft they know it's going to cost somewhere in the realm of Bull Horvat's extension with the Islanders if they want to bring Lindholm back what caught you out of that from Friedman today
2: I think that the notable is establishing a term for Elias Lindholm with eight times 8.5 as the comparable to Bo Horvat, that's not a surprise to me. I think generally, I don't know what your feeling is on it, but generally when Bo Horvat signed that contract with the New York Islanders earlier this spring, it seemed to be somewhat of a natural comparable for Elias Lindholm. Now I'm I'm just going to come out and say it, and I don't know if this is going to sound funny being on a Calgary radio station. I think Elias Lindholm is better than Bo Horvat. So if you can get Horvat or pardon me, if you can get Lindholm at the same term as Bo Horvat, I think that's a win for the Calgary Flames. So suddenly if I'm looking and I'm going and I'm evaluating, do we bring Lindholm back? Do we not bring Lindholm back? Do we trade him? Do we move him? What what do we do? Do we let him play out his final year? If he's going eight times eight point five, we all know in this city how hard it is to find a number one center. Elias Lindholm is a number one center. Is he a top fifteen center? I I don't know if I'd I'd be on that side of the argument. Is he a top 25? I'd definitely be on that side of the argument, top 20. Probably argue you that he is a top 20 center in the NHL. So if you lose him, how long does it take to replace him if you're the Calgary Flames? All due respect to current general manager Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames looked long and hard at finding a center for Jerome McGinla. They thought they had one drafted, in Sean Monaghan didn't quite turn out that way. They acquire Elias Lindholm alongside Noah Hannafin in the Dougie Hamilton deal, and he blossoms into a number one center. So age aside, because you're looking at committing nine years to Elias Lindholm if you sign him to an extension this summer, it takes him into his late 30s. But at the same time, can you afford not to? And if his term comes in at somewhere around that bull Horvat 8.5, if if the Calgary Flames can do it at that number, I think that's a win for Craig Conroy, to be perfectly honest.
0: Are you with Elliot in the sentiment that if the uh, decision from Elias Lindholm is the same as Noah Hannafin, that it's a thanks but no thanks, that it changes where this team has to go?
2: Yep, 100%. I am too. I think that if you lose your number one center – and you lose, and I'll, I'll push back. I, I consider Noah Hannafin a top four defenseman, not necessarily a top pairing defenseman. Yep. Can he certainly fill a top pairing role? Yes. We saw that when he's paired with Rasmus Anderson. Is he going to be the anchor on a top pair? I don't necessarily think that's the case.
0: Yeah, if you want to say he's a top pair defenseman, and this is in all fairness, I don't think this is being he's the two.
2: He's, that's, in, in terms of ice time, yeah. he's the number two on the team but I don't think he's first over the boards for either special teams. Like He's a five-on-five specialist, and to me that's tough if you're going to declare somebody a top pair defenseman. But if you're going to lose your top center and a 26-year-old top pair defenseman in terms of minutes played per game, then you start looking down your bench or you start looking down your pending unrestricted free agent list, and then you go, what are my odds of keeping leading scorer Tyler Foley?" What are the odds of keeping a guy like Chris Tanev, if that is indeed the direction you want to go with Chris Tanev, so on and so forth. So you start looking at how the loss of Lindholm and Hannafin can have the ripple effect down your lineup. I think it makes sense to look at. you got seven pending unrestricted free agents next season. If you move Lindholm out, you move Hannafin out this summer you got to start looking at moving out a couple other guys. And that's not to signal a rebuild for the Calgary Flames. Mm -hmm. You can look at deals that bring you back players that can contribute now, or you can look at assets. And again, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest in listening to Elliot there is there's no timeline for Elias Lindholm, which I think is both the right approach and the wrong approach. I think you put a timeline on him, the answer is no, I'm not coming back. If you give him some time... Maybe you give him time to evaluate everything, but if you put a set deadline on it, if somebody, if you came to me tomorrow, Logo, and said, you have to decide to commit to me and you have 48 hours to do so, or you can go check out whatever else. I don't even understand which context this example's in, but we're going to go with it. You give me a deadline, the answer's no. If you're not going to give me the time to properly evaluate what I want, you're already out of the game. So I understand not giving Lynn Holm a timeline not declaring we need to know by X at the same time. Oh boy. What could you get for him when you're talking to another GM face-to-face on the draft floor and bringing in capital. So I'm, I'm very curious about all these sorts of things. A lot of interesting stuff there from Elliot, but yes, to circle back, if Noah Hannafin says he's not coming back, Elias Lindholm says he's not coming back. I'm looking at ways to either gain players via trade that can contribute now or assets that in turn I can flip to bring back players to help me stay competitive now.
0: Yeah, and I guess for that that section of, of Flames fans that exist, and I know that you hear from them too on Twitter or wherever else that, you know, would like to see the flames go in a younger direction that management or ownership has always seemed to push back on. This is one way to kind of have it dictated to you if this next group of UFAs comes to you and just says look I'm sorry a couple key guys have made their decision that they want to go elsewhere what does that do for Michael Backlund right we've talked about him in this captaincy conversation and his end of the year thoughts if Lindholm's go what is that you're talking about that trickle effect with Foley and all those guys Craig Conroy's decision might not be his decision right he can do all the right things and offer contracts to guys that he'd like to stay stick around but you're right. If a, if a core of these guys just say, look, thanks, but no thanks, whatever the reason is, the decision gets made for you. It's out of your hands. These guys are UFAs, and as we've heard from Craig going back to his introductory press conference, he's not going to sit on his hands like a Johnny Goudreau yep, situation you can. and yep. let this walk. So I do think that while the draft isn't, a, isn't a, a set timeline for him, I do think probably whatever it is, September 1st, whenever you talk about training camp, that's when those decisions will absolutely have to be made by if Craig wants to set his team up for whatever this year is going to be. Because I really do think at this point now, it could just be out of his hands if these guys decide they want to go a different direction.
2: How do you feel about that deadline and, and not pressuring him into a decision before the draft? Because one, I get it. Two, you're not flipping Elias Lindholm to Columbus for the number three pick. Like, that's, that's just not happening. But if a team comes to you and says, we've got a pick in the teens you're going to get a really good, there's going to say 15, I'm just going to pick 15 because it's right in the middle between 10 sure. and 10. It's easy. Any other year, that's probably a top 10 pick. Yeah. So if a team comes to you and says, hey, we want Elias Lindholm, we're going to give you pick 15 and maybe like 38 or something or, or another blue chip prospect, you know, starts piecing together a deal mm-hmm. where you look at the return and go, you know what? That's the exact kind of return I might be looking for if I'm Craig Conroy. But Lindholm hasn't given you his answer. What do you do? And again, on the flip side, I understand me going to you and saying, I need to know if you're riding with me or producer Cam. And I need to know in 48 hours. Probably going to pick Cam, I think. So how do you balance the...
0: Somebody comes with a good
2: idea, good trade offer, but you also trying to give your number one center time to breathe.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. I think from a... From a management point of view, I think it's smart for Craig to have it out there that he doesn't have a timeline on it, right? They could chuck one last year with that, that team-elected arbitration. We knew that was mm-hmm. always going to be a sort of target date and that someone was going to have to get done in a couple weeks' time. I think it's smart for Craig to say and have it out there for other GMs to say, look, if I don't get something done by the draft, I'll wait it out. Come to me with your best offer, I'll wait it out. I don't care if it's in August, I don't care if it's mid-July, we'll we'll wait this thing out until we get the absolute best deal because i think whenever you get put in those those hard deadline situations that's when other gms are going to start to take advantage of you and knowing that you're in that kind of timeline yeah, yeah. but by the same accord if i'm Craig Conroy and i walk into the Nashville next next week Bridgestone and Arena and i'm sitting there and i'm going i just don't feel like Elias is going to come around here and someone gives me the kind of offer that that you talked about that is you know going to be in that range I wouldn't blame him for saying no if your gut's telling you it's just not gonna go your way and you might not get a better offer sometimes pulling the trigger on the best deal you can get is is the best thing that you can do, right Maybe there's somebody sitting there and who knows what those you know those draft day phone calls someone calls you up at twelve and there's a guy on the board that you love just would you do it right Those are the ones yeah. that I always think of right. If you know Craig loves Matthew Wood at 12, you've got 12. You go, hey, does this get it done for you? Those are the ones that he's going to have to battle for the next week.
2: And the problem is, is a pick in the 2023 draft has a name and a face attached to it. A pick in August for the 2024 draft is just a pick. You don't really have a firm grasp on what's going to be available where that team would be drafting hypothetically that you've now absorbed. They could be a top 10 team. They can be a bottom 10 team. The flip side to this conversation is by not giving that draft deadline, you've given yourself more time to work, as you mentioned, but also, say August 1, Elias Lindholm. Sorry, Craig. I don't think I'm signing an extension here. Next question is, where would you sign an extension? Because suddenly, if you're trading Elias Lindholm with one year left on his deal, is one thing you're sending him in a sign-and-trade with an extension, maybe you actually get more. Mm -hmm. So interesting way to look at it, interesting scenarios to play out, but I do think it is the right decision to say, hey, you don't have one week to decide your future here. We can can run this out a little bit more so you're 100% comfortable with whatever conclusion you come to.
0: I know this. It's going to be a wildly interesting next 10 days for Craig Conroy as we head into... Free agency, the draft, and I I know this for sure, whether it's Noah Hannafin, whether it is Elias Lindholm, any of those guys that Friedman mentioned there, at this time, 10 days to two weeks from now, I think you're talking about a team that's seen some major movement one way or the other, and I think that that's going to be what propels us into July and into the draft the next couple weeks. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, that was Elliot Friedman again on the 32 Thoughts podcast available wherever you get your favorite podcast. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get you caught up with the Calgary Stampeders and the Toronto Blue Jays. Plus, we're continuing our Stampede Super Pass giveaways. So get your texting fingers ready at 960-960 on Wednesday pair coming up uh, for Super Passes around the corner for those of you listening live. Uh, and also, quick reminder, Mike Vernon, the newest Hall of Famer Uh, We'll join myself and Aaron Vickers at 5.30 this afternoon, so make sure you're locked in for the conversation uh, with Flames legend and now Hockey Hall of Famer Mike Vernon. All of that and more as Sportsnet Today continues with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet Today rolling on. It's hour one. Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you. 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame class has been announced here in Calgary. It is headlined by Calgary native and Flames legend Mike Vernon. He's going to join the program in hour two, so stick around for that. Really looking forward to chatting uh, with Mike on what's got to be a massive day for him. Two-time Stanley Cup champion. His number's up at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. And now, he'll look forward to a few months from now when he'll be uh, officially inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Still to come, we'll uh, we'll chat more Calgary Flames hockey on the program. But uh, right now, helping you get set for Saturday at McMahon Stadium. It's the Stampeders. It's the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Week three for the Calgary Stampeders. And then their first chance to meet up with their rivals from Saskatchewan. Another day of preparation for Dave Dickinson and crew. Here is today's Stamps Report.
1: This this is the Stamps Report with Matty Rose.
4: The Calgary Stampeders held a closed practice Wednesday as they prepare for their game Saturday at home against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Stamps will be looking for back-to-back wins before their first bye of the season coming up in Week 4. Dave Dickinson joined George Rusick and I on the big show Wednesday morning, talked about that game back against Ottawa, including one particular moment where Renee Paradis saved a kickoff return touchdown, but also took a face-masked penalty in the process of being stiff-armed, which led to a little skirmish
5: late in the game. Well, I mean, it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I felt like we were taking control of the game and then we just kind of gave it back and spit up the ball there on a punt return and then we give up a return touchdown and and then at the very end when you think you you kind of got it, you, you kick off and they they come out past midfield and you take 30 yards of penalty. So everything we did really didn't didn't really sit well with me as far as that, but the things we've kind of focused on in the last whatever you, Three months uh going into camp was winning the last three minutes of the game, and we did that um trey got the the pivotal interception that we never get the ball back uh we just you know basically just went right down the the field on him called some good plays that we seemed to execute at a high level and uh if you can win the last three minutes of the game, you're going to have a lot of success. And that's what we didn't do last year. And that's what we got to do better this year.
4: Uh, Dave, how does it play in the locker room at, at the end of the game when Renee got
0: into the bit of a skirmish there? Uh, how much do the guys love when your kicker kind of mixes it up like that a little bit?
5: Well, I mean, he was just in self-preservation mode as far as the guys <laughs> stiff are him in the face. He can't even see, but he's going to grab onto whatever he can grab onto and pull it down. And, when you're the punter in the last line of defense, you just kind of got to do that uh, punter kicker in that situation. Um, You know, our guys came, you know, obviously don't like to see guys come and and maybe take shots at a kicker. Uh, But Renee's he's been a, He's done a nice job of that throughout his career. He's gotten involved in tackles. And I'm not going to say it's good good form now or good technique because about 50% of the time he's either <laughs> sticking his leg out to trip him or grabbing a face mask. But he, he knows if he doesn't get him down, they're gone. So he's got to get him down.
4: And Renee Paradis, the kicker, did get the tackle in that instance. He had a solid game. The top special teamer, though, that was Elliot Graham. He forced a fumble. He was given a 91.8 score by Pro Football Focus. In his second week of action, he was one of four stamps at the top of their position. Julian Hausair at defensive end, Trey Roberson at corner, and Titus Wall at Sam linebacker. The addition of pro football focus this year is just another metric for fans to have access to and maybe evaluate some of the players that don't have the box score stats. Offensive line, defensive line, things like that. Dave Dickinson talked about it when he joined the big show earlier on Wednesday.
5: I think they can be... Uh good for you, but I also think you got to understand that certain people are grading things. They don't really know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm comfortable with it. I think uh, they've done a great job. That's a company that I have a lot of respect for, and uh, we use it a ton here. Um, So I I believe they're, you know, as a fan, I enjoy seeing who grades out the highest. And the thing we'd like to be known as, like special teams, is how, why, you know, yeah. what, what is, what are they doing to do that? And they don't know your schemes either. So sometimes it might be a mistake, and they might put it on one guy, and even though it's not. And I, I get that with announcers too. I mean, I, <clears throat> I've heard people say, well, he's expecting help over the top, so he does this. Well, how does the announcer really know that? I don't think he does. <clears throat> um, he doesn't know the calls. He doesn't know what defense is supposed to be out there. So. That sort of stuff I think is tougher, but I like, you know, you tell me if the guy has a, is a good pass rusher, if you look at his PFF grade, you're going to know if they're a good pass rusher because uh, they grade every move and, and whether they win or lose. And uh, to me, I like it. Uh, has there been times where you saw a grade and you got upset and you're like, come on, that's way too low for him that game. <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, our coaches look at it and that's how we also, you know, try to assess. We When we win, we give player awards and, you know, like Julian Howes there, like last week, you know, he really didn't get a sack, this and that, and then numbers, but he seemed to be uh, affecting the quarterback on so many plays, and his PFF grade was really high, and, you know, that made sense to me, and it also kind of validates what you're you're seeing on film, even though the stats aren't there, he played really well.
4: Should note as well, uh, Titus Wall got credited as a linebacker, although he does play a defensive back position at Sam. Everybody wants it to be four-man front, three linebackers, five defensive backs. But in reality, especially for the Stampeders' defensive scheme, that's not the case. It's usually, and very hard emphasis on the word, usually, defensive line, four players, linebackers, two players, defensive backs, six players that Sam position much more of a defensive back than a linebacker spot
5: I think Canada and, and the CFLPA and everybody has to get on board with this isn't he? he's not a linebacker he's mm-hmm. a DB player and <clears throat> there's two linebackers playing on the field for 95% of the game that's your Mike and your Will Micah played well though he had a lot of good stats on that and <clears throat> our Mike linebacker position seems to always get good stats so mm-hmm. um, he's fitting right in he's a good leader he's, he does the extra work Uh, And I do think he's done a nice job. Is the
4: transition into a defense, and and we've seen a couple of guys for your defense come in and just grab that Sam position and not let go. Like Jamar Wall did it really well at the end of his career, and Titus Wall's kind of come in and not missed a beat. What makes it possible for guys coming from the American game to kind of run that position, either that or the safety in a CFL defense?
5: Well, I mean, that, <clears throat> excuse me. Every team kind of plays different. I mean, like our Sam's going to be asked to do different things in another team. Yeah. But a lot of times, a Sam has to be a, a good blitzer. He has to be someone that can stop the run, and he has to be cover. He covers one of the best receivers on the field all the time, as a, as basically the third slot uh, to the field. I mean, that's where we've always had great players uh, through the years. And we put him in that spot, so he's got a lot on his plate. You know, we. To say that, you know, he just fit in seamlessly. There's a lot on his plate, but what he yeah. does, he makes plays. You know, there's mistakes there, but he always seems to make plays. And, you know, I'll take that. Um, he finds the ball. And uh, we've been able to, you know, certainly mix and match in there, uh, In our system, the free safety and the Sam kind of interchangeable because they kind of adjust the formations based off that the third receiver goes into the boundary, which is a short side or the field. And, um, you know, but Titus to me is just consistency. Do it over and over. He's still young. Only played eight games last year. He's Mm got to keep going.
4: Now, the problem is that Titus Wall did not practice Monday. Tuesday was a closed practice, so he might not even play. That would be a big boost if he could, but that's up in the air. They're dealing with some injuries right now. Malik Henry, Reggie Bagleton, and Titus Wall all missed practice on Tuesday. James Vaughters was illimited. That just means more opportunity. We'll watch guys like Reggie Bagleton, Malik Henry, and Titus Wall, all starters that did not practice on Tuesday, but we'll also monitor James Vaughters, the defensive end, as he was also limited. Dave Dickinson has some confidence in the backup bodies, particularly those young receivers that might need to step in for Reggie Bagleton and Malik Henry.
5: we got to play with what we got. And uh, we are a team, and we do understand that injuries do happen, but we're down a couple of guys already. I, I mean, uh, you tell me, uh, you know, Kadeem, we, we may do without him, but he still uh, was our top player in our offensive unit. Um, we're trying to get our offensive line uh, to get some continuity. Mm-hmm. That's going to be important. Uh, we still in our, in our, in our back end and our linebacker play, we're, we're still trying to find the right mix as well. And I do think our D line's solid. So we want Vaught in there. Vaught's done a, a, just keeps working, but we do have a, a good depth at that point. So, we need them. Um, Stats so playing well, you know. They yeah. they really when they play Winnipeg up until that late punt return, that's anyone's game. They they had a. I thought they played just as good as Winnipeg, and then they just lost it in, in one special team's play. So we know we're going to be in for a dogfight here, and they're going to come in confident. Uh, uh, we're looking forward to the opportunity, though.
4: Clark Barnes and Rice and John and Cole Tucker, they're all rookies in this league. Have you seen some growth? Just I know Rice hasn't gotten into a game yet, but the other two in these two weeks, have you seen growth with them just being around the game time atmosphere, that type of thing?
1: Yeah, I
5: thought uh, you know I do evaluate practice as well, and I do mm-hmm. think uh, uh, guys are making plays. I know Rice had a big catch yesterday. I, I need more though. I told the guys after practice, the rookies, you're, you're you're only really a rookie, and by status, you've been here long enough to figure stuff out, and you got to be better. We need more growth. We need somebody to come up and kind of take the bull by the horns. We'll use the tightest wall uh, <laughs> analogy there. Guys, got to take the job. They got to take advantage of their refs, play with confidence, and go get it. And uh, we're we're counting on somebody of that group to to become that next big weapon. And, uh, you know, really, Clark Clark made some nice catches for us. I'll give him that. I just need a little bit more, uh, you know, like I said, a tighter on his details. But he could catch, he could run, and, uh, you know, he has probably been the leader of that group.
4: It's a rib injury for Bagleton, chest for Henry, hamstring for Titus Wall on the defense, not great early on in the season, especially with the injury that has Kadeem Carey, their outstanding running back on the six-game injured list. Nevertheless, this should be a great game. The weather's looking good. It's a 5 o'clock start on a Saturday, which is just the best. Great start time with a little bit of buffer time out the back if you want to keep the party going. Gridiron Gardens and Fan Fest are this weekend. FanFest got delayed due to smoke, but it is this week from 3 to 5 before kickoff. At McMahon, all sorts of autographs and music and games and giveaways and photo ops. The Grey Cup is going to be there. Dave Dickinson is excited, as he typically is, because it's also the Rough Riders in town.
5: Uh, We're excited because, you know, we also uh, kind of a one-on-one. You know, you tell me it's two-and-one, one-and-two. Is that going to make your season? Probably not, but it sure seems like a big deal. Yeah. It does. It really does. And we're going into a bye, and I always – I mean, it's human nature. Going into a bye, you look forward instead of basically uh, straight in front of you. And so, we're gonna, we're really trying to stress, guys, take care of business. Just go play better than you did the last game, and kind of let the chips uh, fall where they may. And <clears throat> yeah, we're good with the Great Iron Gardens Fan Fest. We always have good crowds, whether they're wearing red or green. It's a good atmosphere, and it's on a Saturday at five. Come on, let's let's fi- let's figure yes, things out. See if uh, we can put on a show because we're we're thinking that the that McMahon will definitely have lots of fans.
4: Stampeders will practice Thursday, walk through Friday. That's when we'll get our depth chart Saturday, play at 5 o'clock. Then it is into a bye week. Last chance to watch a team live for like a month with a bye and then road games during Stampede. Don't sleep on it. With your Stamps Report, I'm Matt Rose.
0: Thank you, Matty. Appreciate that.
4: Your Stamps Report
0: every single day here on Sportsnet today. Uh, We'll get uh, Matty on live on Friday's show to get you set for the Stamps and the Rough Riders on Saturday. A little later show for us today here. If you're listening live on Sportsnet 960, Jays in action earlier today. And to get you caught up on all things Toronto Blue Jays, here's our own Taylor Dingman.
5: Time now for the Jays report on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Here's Taylor Dingman.
3: Blue Jays have won their series against the Miami Marlins, and all it took was Brandon Bell being back in the lineup. Although he didn't contribute much offensively, his presence sparked the Jays. To start the second, Matt Chapman hit a double that opened the floodgates. A Cavambigio double followed by singles from Espinal, Kiermaier, Springer, and Merrifield gave the Jays an early 5-0 lead. It wouldn't be until the eighth inning when the offense struck again.
4: That's charged off the bat of Chapman out to deep left field, and you can forget it! Number 10 on the season for Matt Chapman, an absolute no-doubter.
3: Matt Chapman hit his 10th homer of the season to give the Jays a 6-3 win. Although the offense of the team was the main storyline, Santiago Espinal was quietly one of the key parts of this game defensively. Espinal took over shortstop, making crucial double plays to limit the Marlins offense. Kevin Gosman pitched six innings, striking out six batters and giving up three runs on eight hits. The Blue Jays will have an off day tomorrow before playing the Oakland Athletics at home Friday night. That's your Jays report for this Wednesday, and make sure to vote for the Jays to be in the All-Star Game.
5: Catch the Blue Jays all season long right here on Calgary's home of the Blue Jays, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate that. Uh, Should we be voting the Jays into the All-Star Game? Have they been good enough to be in the All-Star Game?
3: I I know a couple that should be in there.
0: Brandon Belt yeah second to only Shohei Otani
3: you know vote as many as you can you know we have have to get everybody in there um I feel they, like
0: we, we can let Vladdy have it off this year yeah. How's that?
3: I, I think that we can insert a, a new Jays player in that position though
0: sure I'm okay with that
3: Kevin Biggio
0: I don't know about that yep seems like a bit of a stretch
3: I don't think it's a stretch mm-hmm. I think that he'd should be in the Hall of, or not, the I Hall mean, of Fame. I he wow. the Hall of right Fame right now. right now, so my Whoa. brain is there. Right right <laughs> he should be in the All Star game.
2: <laughs> no bias. Post that right now. He, he, should, he should be there. Yeah. right now. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's going
3: to get a Hall of Fame little spot next to his dad and everything. Well, that would be, uh, that That's would what's going to happen. They're hmm. calling it.
0: Taylor's got it for you.
4: Kevin Breaking Begio, news splitter.
0: Yeah. Kevin Biggio said to uh, get there with his dad, Craig.
4: Breaking hockey yes. No, no, no.
0: Uh big win for the Jays today. Move to 41 and 35. They've won two in a row. Next up for them, they take on the Oakland A's back in Toronto on Friday for the start of a weekend set. Uh, they don't have to go to Oakland in front of 200 or 300 fans. But a couple some, dozen
2: of them. But some of the funnest fans in Major League <laughs> Baseball right now.
0: Yeah. you hey. uh, are Dep- trying to save your team that's team. destined to move team. already. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Jays will be on your uh, your radios as well all weekend along with that series against the Oakland A's. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Hour 2 of Sportsnet Today will feature a conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Mike Vernon. Keep it locked. It's Logan Gordon, Aaron Vickers along with you on a Wednesday edition. Of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. The fans.